to our scripture reading for this morning with the privilege of having Pastor David preach God's word for us. He's continuing in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34, sermon entitled, Whose Work Is This? And I'll be reading from the ESV. This is God's word. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. It will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For the, to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Hey, what a great honor and pleasure to stand here and to you guys today. Um, David Kim, one of the pastors at Renewal Mainline, and I have the privilege to share with you Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 34. Uh, last week, Pastor Bill preached on verse 1 to 12, uh, 1 to 20 actually, the very famous parable of the sower. Um, and after, this is what happened. After Jesus shared the parable of the gen, to, to the general public, he actually provides a further explanation only to his disciples because disciples come and say what did that mean I, we didn't get it and he says did you not understand it well let me explain that to you so that's what we had from verse one and let me tell you the secret he says of the kingdom of god and then he goes on with the further explanation and today's passage is kind of the, that extension part two of that explanation of what kingdom of god is like and he does it, uh, interestingly, with uh, four additional uh, parables to explain it. Uh, he shares the parable of the lamp, the parable of the measure, the parable of the growing seed, and the parable of the mustard seed. Here, Jesus teaches us about this crucial truth about the kingdom of God. He teaches us that the coming of the kingdom of God is his own doing not our doing. In other words, we won't cause it to come. We're not the ones bringing it to the kingdom of heaven. It's God who does the job. 
We're going to see that in three points. So first, let's briefly talk about what that kingdom of God is really like in his idea. Second, uh, what happens when we think it's actually our own work. Third, uh, we're going to see what happens when we know that it is God's own work. So allow me to pray briefly. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful day to come and celebrate your goodness. And what a glorious day to come to worship you as your people. God, we humbly ask that you would bless us today at home or at at church, in person, wherever we are, bring us to you. Come to us and dwell with us. Give us the wisdom, guide us, and let us see you. Let us hear you. Let us know you. And God, truly, let us know who our Lord Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So first, what is the kingdom of God? Uh, Let me summarize it this way. The kingdom of God is the full restoration of God's reign on his creation. And that includes everything. His full restoration of his creation. The nature, the values, the goodness, but people too, our souls, every restoration. That's the kingdom of God, and he restores it to rule with his benevolent reign. And that's actually the main thesis of Jesus' teaching, starting from Mark 1. In chapter 15, uh, verse 15, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the main thesis statement of his main ministry. So here the gospel is what we know as the good news. But what kind of good news? It's the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand, and meaning that God's rule over people's hearts and lives is now being established. And so Jesus is calling people to join him. And that kingdom is more than simply just the rule of the spirit within people, since the kingdom will ultimately include This is what a commentator says. It it will include the restoration of all creation. We can see a glimpse of that in Revelation 21. The full restoration. And so this theme, the kingdom of God, is a consistent core message of Jesus' ministry. And that's that's what we continue to see in today's passage as Jesus says in verse 26 and in verse 30. He keeps saying this is what the kingdom of God is like. That is what it's like. He's explaining what it's like. So before we go further into hearing what Jesus tells us more about how that's like, let's first spend some time just dwelling on what that is, what that full restoration really is like, and how can we relate to that? How much can we relate to it? How much do we relate to it? That restoration, what kind of restoration are we talking about? It's talking about the restoration from the brokenness of the original design of God's whole creation, including humanity, including our soul, our eternal dwelling with God. That was broken in the beginning when sin entered. And God is saying that's the restoration that kingdom of God is bringing. 
The redemption of humanity from sin and death, the reign of sin and death, is what God is setting us free from. This means the restoration of the broken heart of worship, the brokenness of our worship of the wrong things. He's going to turn it back to Him. And also the values that He created as good and right, things like justice, things like love, things like righteousness, all those things that are broken in this world, he will come and bring it to restoration. The restoration of the idea of love, God's love, that's kingdom of God. That's what Jesus has come to proclaim. It is near. And so when the people heard such proclamation of such good news, Jesus actually says, you might not get it though. It seems like you're in the dark. That's actually the second point. What happens when you wrongly think of what kingdom of God is like? Take a look at the uh, verse 21 of today's passage. Because up to that point, Jesus has been saying to the disciples, we really haven't understood, didn't you? So let me give you an easy explanation. And he kind of walks through them step by step. After that parable, the, the disciples tell ask him, so what did that mean? And he said, okay, so the seed is my word, and the soil is this, and he walks them through step by step. And that's what we get from verse 21 too, today. Jesus says, where do you put a lamp? Where does that go? It's supposed to be on a stand, not under a basket, not under a bed, because the purpose of a lamp is to shed light, to reveal things, and that's what Jesus is saying, what he came to do. He is the light. That's what I'm doing here I am the light shedding and revealing the light of truth for you here because you are in such darkness, because you have a hard time understanding the full scope of what I am explaining to you. So what kind of darkness were they in? The original audience, the hearers of this message, where were they in? Where were they so mistaken that Jesus had to point out that you are lost in the dark? If you guys know the context of this original audience, when people heard this message, when Jesus was saying, kingdom is here now, get ready, and they were getting excited, especially the Jewish followers. They were getting super excited because they were saying, finally, finally, the Messiah is here to restore our nation. It is going to happen now. He's going to overthrow the Roman Empire. He's going to do it, and we're going to take part in it. He's saying, join us, so let us join us. That was the main drive of them. This Messiah figure, it was by force they had in mind. And then to think of this elevation of Jewish nation to rule over all the other nations, so no wonder why literally thousands of people gathered when Jesus came and said, it's coming, it's coming, join me. And... This image, this methodology, this is why actually when you guys know this story, when some of the disciples actually come to Jesus and say, you know, when you take over the world and when you are enthroned, can, I, can we get the right and the next seat of your reigning? And you know how the other disciples got mad. It wasn't because it was outrageously wrong. It was actually because, oh, they got to that asking first. We should have asked that. They all thought Jesus will overthrow and become that ruling king 
right there and then. That's why, you know, when Jesus was captured at Mount Gethsemane, Peter drew the sword. And that's why he swung it, saying, is this happening now? Are we taking over? Is this full battle now? Jesus, are you doing this? That's why he literally swung. And Jesus told him to his face, it's not going to happen that way. The kingdom is not like that. And to that, all of them fled because they thought we had the wrong guy. This was the wrong Messiah. He got caught. Why? Because they thought Messiah was supposed to do this and that they, they had in mind, their understanding. They were in their dark. So when we think about this kingdom of God, quite unfortunately, we could relate to such experience. When we're thinking about such restoration, redemption of all the good things that God has created, everything that God has created and the rain, the benevolent rain that he's going to bring, we could easily associate in wrong senses. And one main point that God actually points out here is that we think we're the one bringing this. We think we're the one causing the coming of this kingdom. When we're thinking about this conversion of a soul, or when we're thinking about the reign of Jesus in our hearts and our minds, right, our sanctification, or when we're thinking about the restoration of justice, mercy, why do we get anxious? Why do we become impatient? Because it's not working as we planned or as we even expected. We thought we were supposed to be the one doing it and think, why is this so slow? Lord, when will this happen? Or the opposite end of that wrong spectrum is actually we could become arrogant when we start thinking it is happening and we're causing it. We're making this come. This is happening, yes. Wrong sense of arrogance. To this, Jesus tells us the parable of the seed in two different ways, and that leads us to our third point. He tells us that this coming of Jesus, this coming of the kingdom, it's God's work. Verse 26, as Jesus tells, us, tells the disciples, you guys are in the dark, let me shed light for you. Verse 24 to 25, he says, he'll be the provider of such knowledge which, which we will only benefit with abundance. And then in verse 26 to verse 29, he gives us the parable of the growing seed. So could you turn to verse 26 with me? This is what he says. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how the earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. What we learn from this parable is that the growth of the seed, the growth is not our doing. This guy isn't, isn't even called a farmer. He's, he's called a man here at this point. A man goes to sow. And actually, it doesn't even say sow. He just scatters the seed. Very intentionally directing away from the doing of 
where he has to participate. All he does is just literally toss it to the ground, almost carelessly. And then you know what he does? He goes to sleep. He goes to his house and sleep. He rests. In verse 27, he knows not how. He doesn't know how this happens. He doesn't know how this works, but verse 28, it produces by itself. Produces by itself. It's actually a one word. It's automate, uh, from which we get automatic. This happens automatically. But really importantly, it's pointing out that it's not happening by what that man is causing. It doesn't have anything to do with the growth of the seed. It's the seed itself. So through the parable, Jesus tells us that what causes God's kingdom to come, the cause is in, within the seed, not in the sower, not in us, but in him. He's the one who reigns it. He's the one who feeds it with sunlight. He's the one who shelters it. He's the one who makes it grow. And within that DNA of that seed, it's all happening. The power is in the seed. And when he said seed last time, remember, he literally says the seed is my word. My word has that power, not in us. And this farmer, or the man, not a farmer, he's not called a farmer here, he tosses and he sleeps. How could he sleep? Because he knows that it's going to grow. Because he knows that he's not the one making it grow. In other words, he's at peace. He is waiting for it to happen because he knows that it's not his work. You could think about those experiences. Actually, the, the, the experience of sleeping itself. Can you recall those, like one of those best good night's sleep you've ever had? And just recall that um, experience. If you struggle through that, I am sorry, and I will pray for you for what you're suffering. But remember that experience where you were deep asleep and you woke up, you, don't even, you didn't even know that you were asleep? Just remember how much fear and concerns you had during that time. Usually, usually a good night's sleep really comes from the absence of such anxiety, such fear, such concern. And this guy had that. This guy had that peace because he knew that other person or another thing is happening outside of him. He was peaceful. So when we realize that it's God's work that's happening in our very own lives, but it's his work, we get to become more peaceful. But that part wasn't enough um, to Jesus because he actually tells us the last parable, the parable of the mustard seed. As he says, this is my own work, he actually says the mustard seed, which actually points us directly to himself, not just God's work, but this is my work, me, Jesus Christ. Verse 31, let me read this for us. He says, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, 
It grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out there large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in, his, in its shade. So that's actually Jesus saying that's how different it is from your expectations. You thought this kingdom was this grandiose thing that's coming and you're taking so much part in it, it's actually very different from your expectation. It's so small. In fact, it's so small that you see it insignificant. But, and this is what Jesus does really well in, through the parables, right? Uh, he's not literally talking about the smallest seed on earth possible. There are smaller seeds. But he's saying, he's relating to the experience of the people. And he is saying, you know the smallest seed, the hyperbole. He's saying it's the smallest seed that you know. They know what mustard seed looks like. And they also know that emotion behind it when they're thinking about just how big it grows. From that small thing, how big it grows. And he's relating to that message and saying, that's how it's going to be like. It comes from that small, small, tiny thing. And he's pointing to himself. He's saying, I am small. I came small. Here, it points us to Philippians 2. If you guys know verse 6 to 11, it talks about the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he came as a servant, not this ruling king, a servant. Let me read that for us, verse 6 to 11. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, his, on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the mustard seed, the suffering servant that brings about the kingdom of God. He's the embodiment of the kingdom of God. He's the reality of the kingdom of God, especially as we get to fully experience him. He's the coming He's the crux of the kingdom of God. You know how John 12, Jesus himself actually says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. The seed needs to die. And he said, I need to die. That magnificent tree that provides nests to the lost birds come only from the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only when we recognize that, only, only when we recognize that it comes from the person and the works of our Lord Jesus Christ, it will be tempting for us to fall into impatience, arrogance, or anxious anxiety. When we know that it's his work, we finally can take peace. And we could do it patiently. We could do it humbly. But here, interestingly, we could still sow. It doesn't tell us, go ahead and do nothing. 
It doesn't say, I'll take care of everything. You have nothing to do. He's actually talking about that wonderful harmony. Actually a great, gracious invitation of that taste of his glory, of the ministry of the kingdom of God. As he says, go ahead and I'll give you the seed. I'll give you the seed. You know, it's like that experience when you're going to fishing with a much, much smaller child. And this child, you let the child cast the, cast the thing. And you're right there holding onto it. And this person gets to experience it. But who's doing all the work? I'm not talking about a specific person that's here, so it's okay. Um, and then knowing who successfully does the job allows us to do the seemingly mundane, even seemingly insignificant job, such thing as tossing the seed. So what are those things in our lives? We could spend some time thinking about how we could relate to it. What are, those, what are those things that God has given you as a ministerial opportunity with God's word? Is it to actually befriend your neighbors, literally the neighbors next door who don't know Jesus Christ? Is it for you to share your love for them, even evangelize with words? Is it to feed your children with the daily bread of God's word or with loving patience that Christ has shown to us? Is it sitting through this whole thing? Um, sometimes, unfortunately, an excruciating process when you're physically holding on to someone who's trying to run away from you. Maybe I'm putting too much experience of my personal experience. But we, ha- we get to ask that question. What has God given us when it's his work? What can I toss today? and go to sleep peacefully. Maybe it is those uh, tasks that you were given at your workplace. Maybe it is that small kindness you could show to someone. Maybe it is that word that you have to read and think, this isn't doing anything. Think about it. Well, actually, the Holy Spirit will give you those answers as we seek more. Let me conclude with this illustration that I do hope that this person uh, does not recognize that I am referring to him or her, uh, my my second born, and how the work of the kingdom of God is in his own time and in his his own work, not mine. Um, My wife and I kept teaching uh, the content of the gospel uh, to him in various ways, uh, bedtime reading, of the Bible, uh, prayers, both English and in Korean, uh, awesome bilingual teaching, uh, long teachings and conversations, long and long conversations, sometimes seemingly insignificant, sometimes pointless, and, and nothing seemed to stick. Nothing seemed to stick. Um, you know, when you see, I, I grew up in a Christian bubble, so I could, I could see, I have that radar, I could see if that person could speak that language, right, that 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 jargon of Christianity, the faith at least, and say, well, the right answer, Jesus is my, all that. I I could see none of that in him. So my wife and I were patiently but asking, is it not landing? Are we we doing something wrong? Maybe we are. You know, we we were really asking that. Um, 
what, what do we do with his salvation? What do we, and then we, we kept going back to him, to God, I mean, to ask him, God, do your, do your work, please. We'll do our job. But we didn't see anything. And, and, and you know, the, the highlight of that was, you know, one day, one day, just out of nowhere at bedtime, he just says, um, and we weren't even talking about that, but he says, um, God isn't here. Did you know that? God isn't here. Look, where is he? He like plainly looked around and said, I can't see him. He's not here. It, it wasn't even this joking. It wasn't even a defiant conversation. It was more of a matter-of-fact uh, statement. It was like, hey, look, look around. So I, I successfully hid my panic, and um, I went ahead and had a great long conversation. Uh, I don't remember the content. I only remember him um, falling asleep during the conversation. And my wife asked, um, is, are we doing something wrong? Right? Are we, maybe, maybe this isn't working. What do we do? And then in another very random night, uh, once again, we weren't talking about it, and then he just out of nowhere starts to plainly elaborate the, in his words, that's what was beautiful about it, successfully explaining the foundational principle of the gospel message. And he was explaining the biblical worldview, how we were created in his goodness and, and the history of salvation only through Jesus Christ. And he spoke of it again as a matter-of-fact thing. That's what happened, right? Kind of discussion. Once again, I hid my panic, the joyous panic, and we didn't say, we didn't tell each other, uh, finally, he, he got in. <laughs> we didn't say that. What that taught us is that it really was God's doing. That, that I didn't do that. My wife and I didn't do it. it. At least, it wasn't my work. There were tossings, sure. Sure, I did my part, but it wasn't my work. The timing wasn't what I expected. The way it was what I did not expect. Seemingly ineffective things that I'm doing. And it didn't seem like what I did caused it, obviously. Not through my own metho methodology. God really showed me that God is at work in this man's life. Just as he is at work actively in my life, in your life. In fact, throughout the whole history. In fact, throughout from the beginning of time. Not starting and end from our start and end, the beginning of time. Before time existed, his plan started. And it's here in the person of Christ our Lord, actively. So instead of becoming anxious about how this will be done by our own merits, our own efforts, let's turn to Jesus. Let's recognize that it's his work. Let us fully entrust the credit as well as the source of the strength and the sufficiency of this ministry to Jesus Christ because he'll do the job so we could go to sleep, so we could rest, not out of laziness, but in trust, but in faith we could rest so that God could work. Let's pray. Can we spend some time just praying in response and uh, really led by the guidance of the Holy Spirit?
what are the things that God could reveal to us that we could easily fall into thinking that it is our own doing? In which places does God reveal to you that we're not crediting him, that we're not trusting him, that we're not considering that it's his work? Let's put that to God and say, God, now I trust you. Allow me to trust you. Help my unbelief. Let me trust you. Let's pray. let us do spend this time to actively submit in our prayer to ask for his work to be done and it's not like we're causing his work to be done but we're actually orienting our hearts we're actively participating in such work of the ministry of his kingdom where we're saying god come quickly do reign starting within do reign in my heart lord let me fully be in your benevolent reign and lord let our church be in your reign let us listen to you let us obey let us be protected by you bless our world in such manner continue to reign lord let's pray thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ the mustard seed the suffering humble servant we pray that we would know our Savior Christ's salvation that he brings to our lives through his death resurrection and through his ascension let us know that that gives us peace that you have this under control our lives, our very own eternal life with you, you have that in, under control. Our finite lives that we're living here, you have that under control. And you are actively at work in us, in this world. Let us trust that and let us faithfully but confidently take part in that by continuing our work to toss the seeds. Give us peace, patience. And Lord, would you bless us with such conviction to know that you are God, that you bring the kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, if you can stand together.